Amen. All right. Well, like Tyler said, my name is Billy Gifford. I'm the executive pastor here on staff. And it's fun being with you guys this morning. So I'm gonna dive in. I hope you don't mind if we go a little late today. So just buckle up. But I'm gonna dive right in with a story from my, my youth and it'll relate <clears throat> to what we're talking about. We're going through uh, the book of James with a series called the book of James. Yeah, so hopefully that's clear enough. <clears throat> but okay, so when I was a kid, um, I, I grew up in a household which I would say had a pretty healthy balance of work and play. Uh, meaning we, we definitely got room to play, but we also had a lot of chores and work to do. And so throughout the week, we'd have like these smaller chores. And then on the weekend was when like we really hit it hard. And on Sunday, actually, of all days, uh, was like work day in our house. We called it work day. My dad would always say, work, 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 Sunday, work, 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 work. And so I know it sounds a little opposite of like the Sabbath with, you know, Genesis, but for them, it was rest. So it makes sense for us. I played all the time, so it was fine. But one of my uh, chores throughout the week that I had, it was a very simple one. And it, was, it, it involved me relocating this thing called the trash can from one place to another. I just, my job was to take out the trash, typically on Wednesday or something like that. And I didn't complain about this job. I actually loved this job. I was all about it. But oftentimes, uh, very often, I would just forget about it. And it would typically look like this. I'd be upstairs in my room, like playing, I don't know, video games or something. And my mom would remind me, because she knows me, she would remind me to just shout up there, hey, don't forget to take trash out. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, yes, ma'am. And in my heart of hearts, I kid you not, I'm like, yes, I'm gonna go downstairs in a little bit, in a little bit, and I'm gonna take the trash out. Because that's, I desire to do that. I'm excited about that. Just let me finish what I'm doing. And then two minutes will pass and... I, I completely forgot. I don't know. Like, I would forget so quickly. And what we're talking about today, I mean, this is, this is a common problem with the church today. Not the trash. I, I hope we all take the trash out. I hope that's not the problem. But the common problem being that sometimes, or maybe oftentimes, we don't actually do the things that we set in our heart to do, <clears throat> even if we agree with the thing we're supposed to do, even if we're excited about it. Something happens in the in-between and we just like look back and we're like, wow, I don't know why I didn't do it. Something's going on. And there are two problems with scripture. When you come to the Bible, there are, there are, there are two big problems. One's very simple. It's when you don't understand it. That's obviously a problem. But the other problem is actually when you do understand it. That's another big problem because now that you understand it, now you gotta do something with it. And the problem that we're talking about today has to do with this this word in the Bible, it's a very small word. In fact, it's only two letters. It's the word do. The word do. Because the state of our church in this nation, at least what I've seen and experienced myself, is that multitudes and multitudes of people can come to a church on a Sunday morning, they can hear the word of God, and by the end of the service, they're stirred up, but then they leave unchanged. Or maybe they're stirred for like two or three days, but still nothing has changed in their actual life. And if, you know, our, our vision statement as a church is to present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return. Like that is what we're striving to do in everything we do, whether it's worship, preaching, life group, anything. We want a people who are ready for Jesus. And if we produce a church where you can come and hear the word, get excited about it and stirred, but still somehow leave unchanged, that's not accomplishing our vision. We gotta be a ready people. 
And so I'm gonna read, I'm gonna start off with a parable before we get to James in Matthew chapter 21. You can turn there or it's actually pretty short, so <clears throat> you might just wanna follow along. Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says this, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. And the verse 31 is key. Jesus asked this question. Which of the two did the will of the Father? Which of the two actually did the will of the Father? There's a lot of other scriptures that support this idea of like actually doing what God wants us to do. Let me read just a few of them. John chapter four, verse 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. Matthew 12, 50. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. 1 John 2, 17. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so that parable relates to me because I was literally that, like, I was literally that son who said, yes, I'm going to do it. And then I just didn't do it. Uh, but I suspect I'm not the only one who has experienced that before. That's just a guess. But the message is clear. What matters is, are we actually doing the thing that God calls us to do? Are we actually obeying or are we just agreeing in our head or excited about something? Are we actually obeying is the question. There are two misunderstandings about Christianity. One is by unbelievers and the other, uh, other is by believers. Uh, unbelievers typically do this. They'll, they'll look at Christianity and they'll say, they, they make the mistake of thinking Christianity just means I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a nice guy. That's it. They think I can be just as good of a Christian as any other Christian because I can be a good person. Just the other day out here in the parking lot after work, there was a kid who needed a ride home, a young man. And, and I was like, I'll, I'll give you a ride home. And Obviously, he knew I worked at a church and so he was a pastor. He knew I was a pastor. And so he just, we're driving. It's like a quick drive. And he just starts talking about how good he is. It was just really weird. I was like, so what are you doing? He's like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And he starts talking about how like, yeah, Dairy Queen, I like bought this lady a, a drink one time because she didn't have money. I'm, I'm like pretty good. And I was like, okay, <laughs> why are you telling? But then I realized it's like, oh, because he thinks that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, believers, they have the, we, we typically have some sort of the opposite of mistake, which is we sometimes think, well, Christ has done it all. I don't have to do anything. It's the opposite. They think, well, we, we say, well, he's done it all. Good works are, they're good if we have them. We, they're good. But if you don't have them, that's also okay. He'll forgive you and it's, it's all fine. God is still going to be happy with you somehow. So two big mistakes and both are wrong. And the truth is found in the balance of the two. Balance is my favorite word. If I, if I talk more, you'll, you'll learn that from me. Balance is my favorite word. But the purpose of faith is actually, uh, maybe it's not the purpose, but I'll say that. Purpose of faith right now is to produce good works. They're not separate things. And the Bible makes that clear. Uh, if, if I'm gonna, if I want fruit in a garden, I don't put a piece of fruit in the ground, right? I put a seed. That seed produces a tree that then hopefully produces fruit. And if that tree doesn't have fruit, then I know something's wrong with the root of it, right? The, the seed, something's off there. And what the Bible does is it doesn't separate works and faith. And I know James, later we're gonna talk more about this, so I'm, I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna dip into maybe next week's, but it's hard to separate. 
Works and faith are not separate in the Bible, but they are properly aligned. There is an order that works and there's an order that doesn't work. I mean, if you have the wrong order, it, it won't work. So, but we are saved unto good works. Let me read you Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. That seems pretty clear, right? Faith comes first. But then in verse 10, it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So the emphasis of, uh, of faith in the New Testament is important because it's the only way to actually produce the good works that God wants. See, we can produce something the Bible calls dead works. We can do that. We've been doing that for years. That's, that's, dead works is something I, I produce out of my own flesh or my own self-righteousness, maybe to earn something from God. Those are dead works. Faith is the only thing that can animate deeds. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So maybe you did do a good deed, but why did you do it? What's the motivation? That matters. Because if you have the wrong motivation, it is a dead work. And actually, a little bit later, earlier in Hebrews, uh, dead works is actually something we're supposed to repent of. We think, if I, we think we heard the word repentance, we think, okay, I need to repent of like external, bad, obvious sins. But Hebrews 6.1 says, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and towards faith in God. The dead works are the things that we just try to earn. Like you cannot earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is free. 100% free. Sorry, am I, am I cutting out here? Is it me? We're good. Forgiveness is free. You can't earn that. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's free. You ask God. You can't earn these things. And so when we try to do a work to earn these things, those are dead works we need to repent of. They're just filthy rags before God. I think of Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden, and he may have claimed to have faith in God when he, God said, hey, don't eat from that one tree in the garden in the center next to the tree of life. Don't get confused. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat that fruit. The moment you eat of it, you will die. And in his heart, he may have said, yes, I believe that's true because God said so. But what happened? His faith wavered. And how do we know that? Because we can look at his deeds and we can say, wait a sec, he didn't do what God asked him to do. There was something about actually obeying God that revealed his faith. In Genesis 2.16, it says, the Lord commanded the man, saying, Genesis 3.11, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? You see, God didn't want Adam to tell him of his faith. God wanted Adam to show him his faith through his deeds. And if you notice this, how, how obedience is like the one command in the Bible, or in the Genesis, in the garden. There was one command. There was no mention of faith, no mention of humility, no mention of love. The one condition of man's abiding in the Garden of Eden in paradise was this one thing called obedience. And why is that? It's because wrapped up inside obedience is all those other things. It's love, it's humility, it's faith and more. It's all wrapped up in that. And this, this kind of leads us to where I'm going with James. This is my introduction, so... James is dealing with this whole issue, the, the whole not taking the trash out when you said you would issue that's going on in the church. In this section, what we're gonna read, it, read, read today. So I'm gonna, you can, now you can join me there. James chapter one. Go to James chapter one, verse, starting in verse 
18. We'll start there. All right, verse 18, it says this. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits amongst, among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, so there are two major themes I'm gonna break down in this passage regarding the word of God. That is how we receive the word of God and how we respond to the word of God. There is a right way to receive it and there's a, definitely a right way to respond to it. And in verse 18, if you read, it, said, it says, uh, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So this is where we start off. He starts off by saying that it was by the word that we were brought forth. In other words, because of his word, we are born again. We are first fruits amongst his, his new creation. In verse 17, it talks about he is the father of lights. He gives out perfect gifts. There's no variation, no shadow. And in that, he has given us the perfect gift called eternal life. Eternal life. And it's given us new birth. But he says this thing, and this, I just wanna mention this. He says, we are therefore the first fruits of his new creation. In other words, God is making new people first, then he's making creation new. If you think about the Genesis account, it was opposite, right? It was first, he created the heavens and the earth by his word. And the last thing he did was create mankind, man and woman. But now we are becoming new creations first. We are the first fruits of what is to come. We are the, 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 the proof of what God is going to do one day with this earth when he comes again to make a new heaven and a new earth. And before he does that though, he has to have a people who are new creations. And that's you and me. Those who put their faith in the cross, who believe in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, I believe it says, we are new creations for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're new creations. And so to make this easy to follow, I'm, I'm gonna share three ways in which we need to interact with the word of God. Our head in the word of God, our heart in the word of God, and our hand in the word of God. And hopefully it'll make sense before I'm done. But our head in the word of God is simply how do we think about it? When we pick up the word of God, how do we think about it? Because how we think about it and how we come to it is actually very important. Because you can read the Bible or listen to a message the wrong way. You can. You can, for example, you can come to it for, for literature. Maybe you're just like entertainment. You wanna read a story. You can come for history. You just wanna know some history. More often than not, people come to the word of God because they want to uh, justify something they already believe. This is another problem, wrong way to come to the word of God, saying, I already, know, I already know the answer and I'm gonna go in the Bible to prove my answer, rather than saying, what does the Bible say? I want it to tell me something. I don't wanna say it's something to it. And so one of the first requirements in knowing uh, and understanding the truth is that we have to be humble enough to say, I want to know the truth. 
I want a, a love for the truth, a desire for the truth. If we don't have that desire for the truth, we can come to the Bible all we want and you're only gonna confirm what you want to believe. That happens quite a bit. In other words, we have to be slow to speak to the word and quick to listen. We gotta come quick to listen. See, the Lord has given us two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? Y'all, can you guess why? Yeah? Yes, so you can listen twice as much or twice as fast as you talk. It's a problem we all experience. Verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, of course, this is talking about our interpersonal relationships. Just very practical wisdom. Be slower to speak, be quicker to listen. But since it's also wrapped up in some mentions of the word of God, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning, if we come to the word of God with this attitude, we'll receive a lot more out of it. Because it's through hearing the gospel that you are saved. It's not through talking. Someone shared the gospel with you or you read it, you heard it in a message and you believed it, you heard it, you were quick to listen and you believed and you were born again. Oftentimes in the gospels, Jesus would share a, a parable and then at the end of the parable, he would, summer, he would like cap it off with this phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear, right? It's like a riddle. It's like a parable and then a riddle. Like Jesus, it's super confusing. But what he means is very simple. It's, hey, don't just hear what I'm saying. Take heed to what I'm saying. You may hear it, but I need you to act on it. He who has an ear, let him hear. I thought about naming that the title of this sermon. If he who has an ear, let him hear. Because seed, if, if you have a seed, it needs good ground for it to grow. And the word of truth is the seed of the kingdom. And for some reason, it grows in some people and it doesn't grow in others. And I think we can point to what those reasons are, even today. Because <clears throat> some are not quick to listen. Instead, they're quick to speak. And we need to, be, we need to be slow to speak. We all have restless tongues. I think if, even if we're introverts and don't talk too much, we still have opinions and views that we would like to air out over the, more so than hearing someone else's views and opinions. We got a good opinions, and we like to have those aired out. The problem with doing that, though, is that when you share your opinions a lot, you'll get objections a lot, and that'll sooner or later lead to some irritation, and sooner or later that irritation will lead to arguing, and sooner or later that arguing will lead to anger, which is why in the very next phrase he says, and be slow to anger. Because anger in humans rarely ever brings about the righteousness of God. It doesn't. And here's why. Because when we get angry, we get angry at the wrong time, the wrong people, the wrong place, for the wrong reasons, the wrong way. We just do it wrong, like all over the board. Jesus, there was a few times he was angry, right? And he was still 100% sinless and righteous. But he did it the right time, the right place, to the right people, the right motive, and the right way, apparently. I mean, there was a time he, he whipped people out of, the, out of the temple. He's not whipping the animals. He's like getting the money changers out of the temple, making money off of the name of God. That was a righteous anger. He responded right. The problem is we have a hard time doing that. We have a real hard time doing that. And so the right way to think about the word of God, our head in the word of God, is to come to it with a love for the truth that says, I'm gonna be quick to listen and slow to speak and definitely slow to get angry if there's something that offends me in this Bible. I'm gonna be slow to anger. We, we, basically, I'm saying, come asking the word of God to judge you. Don't come judging the word of God. Don't argue with it. 
And it's the next verse that talks about how we're supposed to feel about the word of God. Our heart, or how, yeah, our heart and the word of God. Verse 21, it says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So we would know if we're rightly receiving the word of God, if when we read it or when we hear it preach, preached, sin begins to feel utterly filthy to us. The more uh, of the, the word of God reveals, is like shines light on ourselves, the more we should start to feel gross by the sin that's in our lives, even if we think it's small. I mean, the Bible is also a light, and the more it shines, the more it reveals what's really there. There was a time I was in Africa. Uh, I, I spent like a season doing some mission work in Africa. And I was with this, this group of people, and we, we went out to the bush to uh, do like a gospel presentation. I mean, it was the full-blown, like we had the, the screen up, the Jesus film running, which is a very long show, by the way. And you know, we, had, we had lights, you know, stand up because it was starting to get dark and so we're doing this whole thing out in the African bush. And then, you know, I'm just waiting for the movie and, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to use the restroom. And there's this like, there's some like latrines out there on the side in the back, but it's kind of dark. So I decide, yeah, I'm gonna go to the restroom real quick and I'll be right back. So I go to this latrine. Sorry if this is like TMI, but uh, here we are. We're already in it. There's no going back. So I go to this latrine. It was actually a nice one compared to others I've been in Africa. I don't know if you've been to Africa, but... So it was like cemented, it was like nice. I was like, okay, this is great. And, but there was just enough light from like the, the screen and the other lights in the field that I didn't turn my headlamp on. So I walk in and I'm getting ready to like use the restroom and it's dark and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna turn the light on now. Just, that makes sense. So I click it on and I'm like horrified, okay? I, it was so dirty and disgusting that it had attracted, this whole place had attracted these creatures. And the only way I could describe them, honestly, like if I'm like, honestly, like what did I see? It was, it was spider locusts. It's like the best way I could describe it. Covering the floors, the ceilings, the walls, surrounding me now, cause I'm in it. I'm like in this thing and I'm like, oh dear Lord. You know, I'm like freaking out. And so luckily, oh my gosh, if, if I would have freaked out, I would have died, I swear. Like they would have swarmed me. It would have been Indiana Jones. Like I would have been like, ah. Luckily I held my composure and I just like backed out. I was like, I can hold it. <laughs> okay, but it's a simple illustration though. It's like when the light turns on, you might see something disgusting that you didn't see before. And so when we come to the word of God, if we're reading it and we're feeling like, I'm great. I got, I'm so clean. There's no, I mean, think of Isaiah. He was rebuking people in chapter five. And in chapter six, he sees the Lord and he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people. I was rebuking them for their uncleanliness. Now he's saying, woe is me. The light exposes. And when we begin to see that filth in our life, we can be sure the word of God is, is truly shining on you, truly. And then we can put it aside and have the word implanted in our hearts. In that second part of that verse, it says, and it doesn't just say put aside all filthiness. It says, in humility, receive the word implanted. In humility, receive it. This means we have to be ready to submit to it. It's kind of a, the same thought. Be quick to listen. It's another way of saying like, hey, be ready and willing to change. Be longing to submit to the word of God. Don't argue with it. Be humble. 
some, some people think that what we need to understand the Bible is like a really smart mind. You need to be super intelligent or that you need a Bible commentary or you need a Bible school or something like that. None of those things will help you unless this is fulfilled in your life. Verse 21. If you do not have a humble heart, you can go to the greatest Bible school student or the greatest Bible teacher. You will understand nothing of true value and spiritual worth. Jesus said this himself in Matthew, 20, Matthew 11, verse 25. He said, I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. It's a humble heart. It's one that comes to God as a father like a child. So Lord, I don't want anything. Would you reveal it? Would you breathe on this word and speak to me? so that I can humbly receive the word and have it truly planted deep in my heart. And the fruit of that, what is that, that next phrase? Which is able to save your souls. Which is able to save us. When we hear the word save, we always think of saved from hell. Sure, that is a bonus. But that's not, that does not complete the word. It is saved from sin. Not just the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is, is hell, for sure. But Jesus came, well, that's the first promise in the New Testament. If you read Matthew, I forget the verse, but it says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And so with the word implanted, I can find salvation, yes, from the penalty and the, the stain of guilt, but also from the power of sin over my life right here, right now. I can be freed from that. There's salvation. You know, if you think of the parable of the soils, I don't have time to read it all, I'll summarize it. Uh, there's a farmer who goes out, scatters seed. Some seed falls on the, on the road some, and it's eaten by birds. Some seed falls on the rock and it's scorched by the sun. Some seed falls in the weeds and it gets choked out. And the last group, it says it falls in good soil. In Luke 8, verse 15, it says, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance and honest and good heart. And actually, it's after this uh, parable that he says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, we actually have control over the type of soil that's in our hearts. We determine if we're gonna be good soil or not. That's in our control. And if it is good soil, if we have an honest and pure and a humble heart, then we will produce 30, 60, 100 fold fruit of righteousness a hundredfold fruit of becoming more like Jesus. That is the blessing that comes with sticking and holding fast to the word of God that can save us. So having our heads right with the word of God and having our heart right with the word of God are two main conditions for truly receiving the word of God, for truly receiving it. I know many people are listening, but I don't know who's receiving anything. These are two main conditions. Because obviously there are people who don't benefit from reading the Bible because they don't read the Bible. <laughs> they have three of them at home, they're on the shelf, no benefit. But then those who do read it, they don't read it with the right head and the right heart, and they don't actually benefit, though they think they are. But there's actually one more group of people that don't truly benefit, they don't get the actual spiritual nourishment that the Word of God is intending to give. And that's those who do come with the right head, they do come with the right heart, but they don't come with the right hand. In other words, they don't, apply the message. And this is the crux of what James is getting to in this passage, and I'll circle back and read it again. In verse 22, I'll read it one more time. He says this, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So we've received the word, but now what do we do with it? What do we do with it? So James uses this analogy of a mirror. Now, raise your hand high if you looked at a mirror this morning to get ready for church. Just raise it high. Just wanna check if anyone, okay. Right, I think it's everyone. If you didn't raise your hand, you're, you're unique. You're special. You just wake up beautiful. Uh, but for the rest of us, we gotta look in a mirror and make things right because things are wrong, right? <laughs> but what's the purpose of a mirror? I mean, it is to look at yourself. That is like the only purpose that at least James is referring to. That we would see something that's wrong and make it right. Literally, we all did that this morning. I, I, I can't get over that. You did that this morning. You woke up, your hair was wacky, you, you had to shave, there was something in your teeth, you had a booger hanging out of your nose, something was going on, and you looked in the mirror and you're like, I'm gonna fix that before I go to church. Here's what you didn't do. You didn't go by the mirror, see all that mess, and, and then forget about it, and then just showed up here. You did not forget. Here's why, because you cared. <laughs> you cared enough to look close enough to realize I need to make something that's wrong, I need to make that right because you cared enough to deal with it. And in order, to lead, in order to properly clean up, you didn't just glance at the mirror. Like if the mirror's here, you didn't walk by like this and just be like, huh. and, then, and then you like, hopefully you fixed it. You saw something, you did a double take, you're like, oh, and then you like zoomed in, right? And you're like, oh man. Like you looked closely. And this is the difference that James is talking about. Those who glance at the word of God versus those who gaze at it. He says, looked intently. There's a major difference. Because you, you can glance at the word of God, you can glance at anything and forget about it. <clears throat> give it. Give it like 30 minutes, you'll forget. Because you're not going deep enough for change to happen. I would even argue that right now, what everyone is doing is glancing. Like we're sitting here, receiving a message. To me, I, I, this is still a glance. We won't know if it turns into a gaze until after the service because you're getting a glimpse of the mirror right now. Maybe there's a twinge of conscience or maybe there's something that's stirring and something that's exciting or challenging. But right now, it's still a glance. It, does it become a gaze later is, is when we find out. Do you look hard enough in the mirror to remember what you saw? The word used for gaze is literally to bend down and investigate. So I had this picture of like, if I'm like looking for gold or something and I see a sparkle out of the corner of my eye, I'm bending down, I'm getting closer and I'm, I'm looking, literally, I'm just, I'm zooming in. I'm not saying, oh, I wonder if that was gold. And from up here, from a distance, I'm looking closer. That's the intention that James is getting here. It's like, look intently at this law, this perfect law of liberty. It brings liberty when you do that. Get a closer look. And the issue that James is, is touching on is, is actually not about our intentions. And this kind of gets in our way sometimes. He's speaking very practically to our forgetfulness. Sorry, my, my, my phone. We good? You can hear me. I'm talking loud enough. Okay. He's speaking to our forgetfulness. He says, has, he has forgotten what kind of person he was, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. You see, we, we tend to think that if we forget, 
then that gives us a little bit of like shield from, from like it, it, it means we're somewhat innocent. We think that. Because well, I would have obeyed, I just forgot. Like my intentions were good. I was at that, I read that book and I was gonna obey and I, I knew the Lord told me to forgive and I, just, I was going to and I just, I forgot. I never got around to it. And James isn't speaking to the intentions. He's like, no, I, I, that's not what we're talking about right now. I'm talking about, did you actually follow through? Because, you know, I wanted to take out the trash, but I prioritized something else and I eventually forgot about taking out the trash, the, thing, the command that I was given that I needed to do. He's not over-spiritualizing this. He's, be, he's being quite practical. He's saying, you won't remember what you saw if you just glance. So don't just glance. But if you gaze and you practically do what you need to do, you'll remember what you saw. Study. Get someone to help you stay accountable. Obey now rather than putting it off. Take notes. <laughs> Share those notes with your life group. Share with your roommate. Read it before bed. You'll, just practically, you'll remember it better. But the best way of all to, to remember is to obey. You can try to memorize a verse or whatever by reading it, but if you say, okay, that's the verse, here's how I'm gonna memorize it. I'm gonna go and obey it right now. Then you have that experience connected to that verse that you'll remember it. And if we forget to obey, even if our attentions are good, we're, we're still building our foundation on sand. We're still building our foundation on sand. So the recipe is simple. We need to read his word, we need to remember his word, and we need to do it. We put that together, that plus that plus that equals we will be blessed. And blessed, let me define blessed real quick, conformed to the image of Christ. We'll be blessed. There's no greater blessing than to be like Jesus. Because then ups and downs can come, who cares? Highs and lows, mountains, valleys, doesn't matter. Because we, we get to be like Jesus and we know that's what matters at the end of the day. But prove yourselves doers of the word. I'll go ahead and get the band to come on up. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. And I'll end on this. Why is it a deception to hear but not to obey? Why is that deception? It's pretty simple. It's because you can read the Bible or come to church and listen to a message with no real change. It's like what I said in the beginning. Multitudes come to church, they get stirred, but they leave no different. And that's a deception because we think we're changing, because we're hearing and agreeing, and we leave. But the more we delay the obedience, the more that time passes after we've heard a good message or read a good book or, or read the scriptures, that delay causes forgetfulness. And then we, we put it off to where we're like, yeah, I meant to do that like three weeks ago. And then it's like, I meant to do that a year ago. And you've just not obeyed. So you can go your entire life thinking that you're living the Christian life, thinking that you're saved. All the while, the reality is you're just wasting your time. I, I mean, even right now, like I know this is weird coming from the stage, but you could be wasting your time right now coming to church if all you do is say, yeah, that was good. And then you leave and that was it. That, that is a waste of time. I don't want Sundays to be a waste of time. I don't want any of your time to be wasted. We don't have enough time to waste. Life is short, it's a vapor, it's a blade of grass. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And so let me ask you this, what, what would you consider to be worse? Getting deceived out of a lot of money or getting deceived out of some righteousness, some salvation from sin? Which one is worse, right? Like, don't, don't answer, just think about this, okay? What's more valuable? I mean, 
Would you rather be duped by a criminal and giving you giving him all your money, or do you just miss out on some truth and you just, you know, you, you continue living the same? How would you feel? It wouldn't be acceptable, right? If anyone's been deceived like that, you know it's like, man, that is not okay, and I will never let that happen again, ever. No one's gonna deceive me. I mean, just this week, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, you know, the scammer phone callers, you know? We've all gotten those calls, right? Where like someone's like calling you and you want a million dollars. I was literally thinking about this, finished my sermon, a couple hours later, I get a phone call. Sure enough, some guy named something with a specific accent, and he said, I had won $1.3 million and a new Mercedes Benz. I was like, awesome. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, yeah, I eventually hung up. Let's put it that way. But they come. I mean, my wife had one a few months ago. It was, it was, it was intense. It was like, this is the IRS and you got, you know, X thousands of dollars and it's connected to drug cartels and you better pay right now or the FBI is going to get you. And she was like, let me call my husband. And I was like, please hang up the phone. Just stop it. Okay. But let's say for the sake of argument, let's say that someone succeeded in scamming you out of a million dollars, everything in your bank account. You would never let that happen again, right? You would be on the alert, right? You'd be, I mean, your friend would text you, hey, can you Venmo me for that pizza? You'd be like, yeah, nice try, hackers. Uh-uh, nice try. Not happening. But not only that, you would be outraged. You'd be so upset. The only way you would not be upset is if you never found out. You actually thought you won a million dollars. So not only, you would not be upset, you would be happy. You would be sitting there on your couch, you'd hang up the phone, comfortable, exhale, problems are solved. You just went, we want a million dollars in a new Mercedes-Benz. You'd be, your head would be thinking, how are you gonna spend the money? Your heart would be feeling the emotions of like, I am finally rich. And then your hand though, the moment of truth comes, you go to your bank, you try to make a withdrawal. And it turns out you're empty. There's nothing there. I mean, what a crushing moment, right? You thought you were rich, yet you were poor. Jesus speaks to this situation actually directly in Revelation chapter three, and I wanna read it to you. Starting in verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The eye salve and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. My fear for the church is that we will say, I am rich, I have need of nothing. I've listened to so many messages. I've read the Bible in a year. I've understood deep truths. 
only to one day you go to the bank account, you get to the judgment seat. And Jesus says, you're poor. You're naked. You're, oh, like that's heart-wrenching for me. I'm like, I don't want this church to be like that. I don't want any church to be like that. And Jesus' advice, he says, I advise, from you, I advise you, buy from me gold refined by fire. This is not something free. Salvation is free. Forgiveness of sins, free. But there's something here that's, that requires sacrifice. And those are the things that we hold on, our flesh. We want these things. And he's saying, hey, that, you got a big bank account of the flesh. Use that to buy gold refined by fire. Get rid of it. Empty your bank account of the flesh. Say, I'm done with all that. I don't need all that. I want this gold refined by fire from Jesus. There's gotta be sacrifice. And 1 Peter 7, uh, 1 verse 7 talks about what that is. It's that proven character of faith. Faith that has been tested. That is gold refined by fire. And it's only tested because it reveals is there obedience or not in the faith. So we can be deceived into thinking that Jesus is sitting at the table we're sitting at, dining with us, when in reality, we've locked him out. And he's at the door just patiently knocking to get back in. It's because we're eating up the words. We're sitting there, we got a plate full of the Bible and we're eating it. We're like, Jesus is obviously at this table. We're putting it in our mouth. Maybe even we're swallowing it, but not digesting it. We're hearing but we're not doing. And that's what James is talking about here. Prove yourselves doers of the word. And later he talks about faith and deeds and how they're combined. Let's go ahead and stand. My admonition, which I think you can hear it, is let's please, when you, even if it's something simple that you knew when you were five years old, is there something in that message that you can obey? And don't put it off, because you might forget. You might not, and that, that's, I guess that's fine. But when I was trying to take out the trash as a kid, I deceived myself, because I would hear it, hear the command. It was clear. I wanted to do it. I was stirred up by it. And I just would forget. I put it off. And God wants a church who hears his word and then obeys it. And there are people in this room right now that are, that are receiving that message. Even if it's just one or two, praise God. Praise God. We can't be a church that just nods along, shouts amen, lifts our hands, but then goes home and, and, and we don't change. We don't repent. We don't forgive easily. We're still slow to, to do the right things. I'm gonna invite uh, life group leaders to come on up just to be our prayer team this morning. You can make your way up here. And so just in response, really simply, I just want you to ask the Lord, and maybe you don't even need to ask. It's like, it's clear to you right now. But that thing that you're supposed to do, that thing that you, you need to obey, ask God to reveal that to you right now. Say, Holy Spirit, that spotlight that shines and shows where the filth is, say, Lord, shine that spotlight on me right now. Just right now in these next few minutes, we won't take too, too much time. But when he shows you that thing, just come up and ask for prayer. We're, we're ending the fast with unity. We're not, I'm not saying, hey, sit there in that chair alone. You just figure it out. I'm saying, hey, come up. We're the body of Christ. Maybe your arm's weak. There's another arm that can lift you up. So come up and receive prayer. Even if it's just a few seconds, just we believe that God uses the, 
this is the church. I mean, I'm, I'm up here playing one small little role, but there's a lot of other roles in this church to pour out to the whole body of Christ. And so if that's you, if you, if you, if God is speaking to you right now, just, I'll begin to pray in just a sec. I want you to slip out of the aisle, come up here and just receive some prayer. Just ask God to fill you again with the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you with a hatred for sin. Ask God to fill you with a desire and a love for the truth. Ask God to fill you with Christ-likeness. Make that your one aim in life. And say, Lord, wow, I've been procrastinating. Maybe it's something so simple. It's like, I, I've been meaning to just take notes and I haven't. Or like something in the calendar and I haven't done it. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, we wanna be obedient to the word of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we just come to you humbly and we just say we want to receive your word. We want the salvation of our souls. We want to be free from sin in all forms, Lord. We want to fix our eyes on you and look upward, Lord, that we would go from glory to glory to glory all the days of our lives, that we would not ever be content doing church or even uh, seeing you move in mighty ways, that we would say, no, I want more than that. I want to become like Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. And we can't do that if we just hear it, but not obey. Lord, make this a church. Make us a people who are doers of the word of God. That <laughs> what other, what other, whatever else, anyone else may think, that at the end of the day, we did what God asked us to do. That's what matters, Lord. And I pray that you would make that a priority in our lives. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit right now, Lord? Give us the grace, give us the courage, give us the strength to do that thing that we need to do. We need courage, Lord. We need courage, Lord. And we want that gold refined by fire. And we open up that door. If we've locked it, we just repent. If we've locked the door and we didn't realize it, we look up and we look around and Jesus, you're not in the room. We just repent before you now. We say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I went years eating, but you weren't with me. Would you come in again and dine with me? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and just make your way on up if you need prayer. I feel like there's still like, if you just need someone to help you repent or help you receive grace, just come on up, receive prayer. God's doing something this morning.